Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Podcast, Anemia of Chronic Kidney Disease, Erasing Health Disparities in the Most Vulnerable Populations with Mitigation Strategies. I'm Dr. Nilda Saunders, and I'm an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Chicago. With me today is Dr. Santosh Sharaf, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Illinois at Chicago. This program is supported by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. So let's get started. CKD is a decline in kidney function or an abnormal kidney structure. It is grouped in stages and stage one is normal or high function with an EGFR greater than 90. Stage two is mildly decreased kidney function with an EGFR of 60 to 90, which is roughly 60 to 90% of expected kidney function. Stage 3A is mildly to moderately decreased, EGFR 45 to 59. And when we start getting into advanced DKD, stages 3D or above, um, this is when we start to have some of the side effects. So stage 3B, EGFR 30 to 44, and stage 4, which is severely decreased kidney function, EGFR 15 to 29, which is about 15 to 29% of expected kidney function. And then stage five, which we call end-stage kidney disease, um, where kidney function is um, less than 15% of expected with an EGFR of less than 15. So we know that in early stage CKD, the prevalence among racial and ethnic minorities is roughly the same. But when we look at advanced CKD, there's a market increase for racial and ethnic minority groups. So that compared to their white counterparts, African-Americans have about four times the rate of end-stage kidney disease. Um, Native Americans have about two times the prevalence of end-stage kidney disease. Asian-Americans have about 1.3 times, and Hispanics have about 1.6 times the prevalence of end-stage kidney disease. And an interesting point to talk about what Dr. Saunders mentioned is that although the earlier stages are, are kind of similar based on ethnicity and race, more advanced CKD is seen more commonly in African-American, Hispanic, Native Americans, and, and the rate of progression to kidney disease is accelerated as well. And so perhaps um, earlier care is really important as well as um, access to care and making sure the patients are getting the proper therapies to help uh, keep their kidneys healthy. And so when we talk about good care for all patients with kidney disease, but particularly for racial and ethnic minoritized groups, um, as, as Dr. Sarraf mentioned, um, we want to not just screen for chronic kidney disease, but then also um, control risk factors to prevent progression and then to monitor and manage some of the potential side effects from chronic kidney disease, including managing high blood pressure and diabetes as well as looking for other side effects, such as mineral bone disease and anemia associated with chronic kidney disease. And, and the CKD-related anemia is, is something that is really important because when we talk to our patients about kidney disease, they often kind of just think about kidneys making urine, but the kidney is doing a lot of things in the background, like Dr. Saunders mentioned, regulating bone metabolism, acid-base balance, but it's also the main organ that tells our body to respond to hypoxia or anemia by producing more red cells. Um, and so anemia is a major problem associated with chronic kidney disease. Um, this happens as the kidney disease progresses, and it affects a lot of different things. Not only does it make people feel fatigued, uh, affecting their quality of life, their physical activity, 
and cognitive um, impairment, but it also affects healthcare utilization and cost. So people that are more anemic are more likely to be hospitalized, more likely to require red blood cell transfusions, and have an overall higher cost of care, uh, which is about twofold higher than people with kidney disease that are not anemic. Furthermore, the heart has to compensate for anemia. So you can get cardiac remodeling. Um, often the heart gets more hypertrophied. Uh, there's a higher risk of heart failure exacerbation admissions. Um, there's also epidemiologic data that people that are more anemic have a more rapid rate of chronic kidney disease progression and overall mortality is higher in people that are anemic, along with all the other uh, functions of the kidney. Um, regulating the hemoglobin concentration in anemia are, are, are vital and impact many different aspects of um, health. And when we think about racial and ethnic disparities, it's particularly important to note that members of minoritized groups may be particularly vulnerable to this anemia or chronic kidney disease. Um, we know that in general, even amongst patients who don't have chronic kidney disease, that anemia is more prevalent among Black patients compared to white patients. And it is also more prevalent among patients with chronic kidney disease. There's a variety of reasons that this may be the case. It could be related to hemoglobinopathies like sickle cell anemia or thalassemias, um, as well as iron deficiency. And we know in population-based studies that patients who are African-American require an additional dose or a higher dose of erythropoietin-stimulating agents to reach the same hemoglobin level. So we want to both um, monitor um, for these potential side effects because of the, you know, really serious quality of life and clinical implications that Dr. Sarof mentioned, but then also monitor response to treatment um, because there may be additional uh, treatments needed or an additional dose to reach the same therapeutic effect. Uh, those are great points. And it's interesting because when you look at the improvement in anemia, uh, African-Americans are often not at the hemoglobin goals and the anemia isn't as uh, well-treated. And perhaps clinical trials are, are more focused studies looking at what are the right uh, hemoglobin thresholds for different groups should be done. And so one of the important things in terms of making sure that we treat it is whom to look for anemia with. We know that anemia is more common um, in certain groups, um, particularly women people of African descent, but it's also common in people with low income and who have low health literacy. And so when you think about how to screen, we want to universally screen, um, but we also want to make sure that people who might not come to care or might not come to care often um, get screened and treated um, so that you know, everybody has an equal chance to have good health outcomes. We also know that anemia is more common in certain medical conditions, um, particularly patients who have diabetes or other causes of kidney disease, such as polycystic kidney disease or uh, kidney disease related to diabetes, um, or people who have CKD related to um, conditions that may cause higher levels of inflammation, like lupus um, or other autoimmune um, conditions. So we know that while CKD is common in all populations, there are other medical conditions or epidemiologic conditions that predispose to higher levels of risks. Yeah, and early detection is really important because people that have been identified as having early stage CKD, um, those patients can be um, more closely monitored. It could be uh, taught to avoid nephrotoxins um, and also the concurrent cardiovascular risk that comes 
uh, with kidney disease. So identifying people early in the um, progression of kidney disease is important. There's a really interesting study actually uh, from Ann Haynes where um, less than 10% of people that had um, stage 3 CKD were actually aware of their diagnosis. And so screening for the, the, these high-risk patients that Dr. Saunders mentioned, and then also educating the patients about their kidney health is, is, is vital. I think that's a really important point. I think that oftentimes uh, primary care doctors are really working hard um, at managing some of the predisposing conditions, so diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease and may not mention or may not want to worry patients and mention chronic kidney disease. And we know from the study in our own hospital that less than 50% of patients who had advanced CKD were aware that they had CKD. And so um, it's important uh, not only that clinicians note it in the medical record so that it's uh, available for um, all clinicians across all levels of care, but then also mention it to patients so that they can not only manage their conditions, but then also do other things to maintain their kidney health, like avoiding excessive use of um, ibuprofen or reducing certain medications that can harm kidney health or that are processed by the kidneys. Yep. And I think some of the, the ways that you can diagnose the kidney disease and, and identify people. Um, so we have the, the standard lab measures like the serum creatinine. Um, in some instances, serum cystatin C might be a better uh, a tool, um, such as in sickle cell anemia. And then urine albumin creatinine ratio is another uh, important way of um, identifying uh, kidney disease and staging kidney disease. Um, and then in some certain circumstances, if you're worried about glomerulonephritis, uh, you'd want to do a urinalysis. Um, or if there's a history of cystic kidney disease or polycystic kidney disease, then a kidney ultrasound would be helpful. No, that's that's a great point. And I also wanted to even step back and say, we know that recently um, there have been um, efforts to make sure that all health systems are using um, an EGFR that does not include the race-based calculation. And I know that our institution and many other academic institutions have done that, but making sure that your own institution, that that's been done so that we're accurately um, measuring um, and recording patients who are Black who have chronic kidney disease. Yeah, that's a great point because uh, with that race coefficient, a lot of people are being underdiagnosed. And again, coming back to the early identification of kidney disease for prevention and management is critical. And then I think also for primary care doctors, I know that we often, or at least I in my practice, don't necessarily use um, ESAs. However, when we note um, chronic kidney disease early, um, we can also do iron, which we do use as part of our clinical practice. Um, and in addition to that, sort of thinking about when to co-manage with our nephrology colleague is also an important step in care. Yeah, and, and, and part of that screening is if you have early stage kidney disease, you want to assess iron balance. You want to know what's the serum ferritin, what's the iron to TIBC uh, ratio or total iron binding capacity ratio, um, also known as iron saturation. Because some of those thresholds for iron levels are different in people with chronic kidney disease. So a serum ferritin of less than 100 and an iron saturation of less than 20% defines an iron deficiency uh, in people with kidney disease. And so those people, if they're not dialysis dependent, should get a trial course of oral iron for at least three months to see if they can um, improve their iron status in stores. 
there is data showing that IV iron is probably more effective than oral iron, um, but cost effectiveness is also important and insurance um, approval, which is often a barrier for our patients. Um, in the setting of end-stage renal disease, there the data seems to be a little bit more clear that IV iron is superior to oral iron. Another therapy that's often used for managing sure that probably somewhere in the 10 to 12 gram range. Benefit in getting it high, but then there's also risks and additional costs and, and sort of having a over-optimal hemoglobin level. Yeah, and, and the other interesting thing is that people that get really high doses of ESAs, in one recent study showed that the highest quartile of ESA doses um, might be an adverse kind of uh, risk factor for cardiovascular events or, or mortality. So. Uh, making sure that per, the people are iron replete beyond the ESAs, but not overshooting the hemoglobin concentration. Um, and then alternative um, therapies to improve anemia um, are all important um, in, in people with chronic kidney disease. And so we know that in addition to the pharmacological ways that we um, reduce CKD-related anemia, um, there's an important point in communicating with patients about why we're doing this. Um, so that they can assist in managing their own health. You know, we can prescribe all of the medications that are uh, guideline uh, recommended, um, but if our patients don't fill those prescriptions or don't uh, adhere to our recommendations, then we haven't really helped. And so an additional important point is communicating the potential complications of anemia, um, the reasons for the therapies, and also potential side effects so that we can proactively um, prepare patients for them and mitigate some of those side effects if, if they occur. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, um, you know, not only uh, in terms of kind of what the mannequins are, but effective communication is just so critical to uh, help address healthcare disparities. And so 
um, educating the patients about kidney disease, what are the complications, um, having a, a shared decision model about what their values are and, and what kind of goals would they like to have in terms of treating their kidney disease and preventing progression. Also asking them their understanding of their illness, just to make sure they understand um, kidney health. Um, and then I think even taking a step back from that is um, health literacy. Uh, chronic kidney disease is a very complicated problem and lots of different organ systems are affected. Um, there are often really complicated therapies that are recommended with many different medicines to help balance uh, their acidosis or their um, secondary hyperparathyroidism. So um, making sure that they're able to understand uh, medical directions is, is integral. And one of the things that often we, we use in, in clinic is the teach back technique where we, we talk to the patients and then we ask them to kind of give back what the instructions were in, in their own interpretation just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. No, I think that's absolutely important. And I think we'd be remiss in talking about uh, CKD-related disparities without talking about systems change. And so in our own practices, in our healthcare system, we want to make sure not only that we communicate with patients, that we have handouts that perhaps are um, developed for patients with uh, low health literacy, um, which can be used for everyone. Um, we can all use things presented in the most simplest uh, way. But then also making sure that our health system is set up so that if patients are not able to get that through their insurance or that they need peer-to-peer -peer discussion or that there's an additional copay, that we've thought about that and had our systems uh, be able to handle that so that when patients show up at the pharmacy, they're able to get the medications that we want them to have. And then that we think about a medication that is the lowest cost, most effective medication so that we're being a good steward of our patients' resources. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, we're often rushed in clinic, but assessing the, the social determinants of health for each patient is really critical. You know, what, what's their ability to pay for the medicines that we're prescribing? Uh, what's their ability to access the healthy food that we're recommending? Um, and then do they have any transportation barriers um, to make it to clinic on a regular basis? Those are all um, things that we often are in a rush and unfortunately may be glossing over. But for the health of the patient, those are really critical parts. And in a multidisciplinary team that includes our, our nursing and our social care workers might help us um, improve the health of our patients. That's a great point. I mean, we can't uh, do it, nor should we do it alone. And so there are many colleagues who can assist us and be part of our team in terms of helping to making sure that patients understand and that they understand the um, importance of a good diet to uh, manage anemia and also prevent CKD progression, um, as well, understanding that they can um, talk to us about affordability um, and making sure that they can fill the prescriptions and also working with our pharmacy colleagues to make sure that they um, understand how to take it and that they're able to fill those prescriptions um, based on any approvals that they need. Yeah, that's a great point. Pharmacy team's critical for that. Um, and then even when we're assessing the patients, you know, our, our implicit bias, you know, it's prevalent in healthcare. And just being aware of our own biases is important. But also when we're assessing the patients um, for their uh, symptomolo symptomatology, you know, it's important. You know, we should be individuating, looking at the EGFR as a hard value. Uh, looking at the hemoglobin as a, as a true value and, and what our, our goal or target should be, as well as perspective taking. Um, I mean, the symptoms of anemia um, can sometimes be subtle or are sometimes se severe, but listening to the patient and taking their perspective 
um, on their symptoms is great. I think that's a good point. And maybe voicing the goals of our therapies with their goals in mind. And so patients in general don't have a particular hemoglobin goal in mind as their uh, treatment goals. Um, but they do have the goal that they want to have more energy so that they can spend time with their family or so that they can do the things that they enjoy, or they want to be able to think clearly so that they can do better on their job. And so I think making sure that we um, frame our treatment goals in terms of what's important for patients um, is an important goal. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what, one of the, the main things that, um, will really help us with the clinical care that we often struggle with is, is clinical trials and clinical studies and having a diverse population uh, that's representative of, of our patients that we're treating in, in kidney disease, you know, making sure that we have all ways and ethnicities included so that the results are um, translatable is important. And, you know, building community partnerships and, and um, you know, talking with the patients, what are their values? Um, are all important, um, but but I think that um, that's another part that that needs to be addressed. I think that's great, and so I think in terms of summarizing um, what we like to continue to do, um, making sure that we screen for uh, some of the conditions that predispose to chronic kidney disease, including diabetes and hypertension, and that we aggressively manage those things. That we screen for chronic kidney disease. Um, many ways to screen using the EGFR without the race-based correction or using a statin C-based equation or uh, screening for um, albuminuria. And then once we find CKD in our patients, um, making sure that we communicate that in the medical record, communicate that to patients, and then do all of the things that we can do to prevent progression, which in the early stages is um, risk factor control. If they progress, then making sure that we um, are looking for some of the secondary effects of chronic kidney disease, including bone mineral disease and anemia, and that we're referring to our nephrology colleagues. And each step of the way, it's important that we're assessing patient understanding and assessing how these social factors um, may impact their contribution to their health management. So thank you for that excellent discussion. For more information about this program and to access the CE certified recorded webcast, downloadable slide set, and clinical thought commentary, please visit clinicaloptions.com slash cardiology. Thank you so much for listening today.